we are going to be in the book of Philippians. And uh, if you would turn there, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, the first 16 verses. I thought about doing something that would really embarrass my wife, um, but I'm not going to do it because I know she would, I'd hear about it later. But she has, what did you say? Chicken? No, I won't do this. She has memorized the entire book of Philippians. And so I was going to have her stand up and quote those 16 verses from memory. But um, I I like living. I like staying alive. So I'm not going to do it. So we're going to read 16 verses of Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ and comfort from love, <clears throat> excuse me, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same blank. Oh, boys and girls, I'm sorry. Mind. <laughs> Having the same love, being in full accord of one blank. I mean mind. Get it? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this blank in you. What's the word? Mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This uh, message, by the way, this is the last week for spiritual gifts class. Excuse me. So we will, if you've been coming to that class, this this Sunday's the last Sunday, and then you can go back to your other regular Sunday school classes. But or you can anyway if you want to. <clears throat> but for those who have been attending this class, uh, this message should kind of go along with that study. Why? Because the application of the study comes together in this chapter as we see an example of what a servant really is. 
in order to see what this word serve means, because the title of my message today is Serving in the Spirit, there's three Greek words that are used in the text here in different ways and in different places in the Bible. One of them is the Greek word latrueo, and it means to serve in a sacred way, like a priest. The next word is doulos, which means a slave. And actually, most of the places where the word servant is used, the Greek word doulos is used, explaining that we are slaves to God, to serve and obey and submit. Third word is diakonia, where we get our word deacon. And it really, literally means somebody who runs errands or waits on tables. <laughs> That's all it means. So we consider our supreme example of Jesus Christ here in Philippians 2. But we should realize that when it says we have the mind from him or he has given it to us, we also have the power to serve him, to join with him in service to his people. In Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus said this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of Gentiles or heathen, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise great authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He said he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And yet, Now he is sitting on a royal throne, is he not? We are now his servants, and we have him as an example. So Paul starts off with this encouragement. He calls for unity. He calls for everyone to be of the same mind. And he really, the word there means mindset, mind attitude. Having the same love as who? As Christ. Being in full accord in one mind. He's calling for unity. How do you make that happen? How does that happen in a church where the whole church is in full accord and of one mind? Well, verse 3 tells us, he says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. After all, serving's not about us, is it? It's about each other. It's about the others. He says, Let not each one of you look on your own interests but the interests of others. Serving the Lord and His people requires this attitude. If you don't already love His people, don't think you will start loving them after you start serving them. You need to learn to love them first. You you won't love the flock of God if you're being asked to take a responsibility in the church, whether it be elder, deacon, or whatever. You won't love them after you start serving unless you love them before you start serving and i really want to make that clear we have as elders we've been taking we've going through a training book called biblical eldership and in there the author of that book alex strauck said this if a potential elder says that if appointed to be an elder he will love the people fervently do not choose that person as an elder If he doesn't love God's people already, he won't after he's appointed. 
Think about that. The title elder is an overseer or position to be not attained, but a love to be expressed to the people. Love, protection, and everything it tells us to do as overseers. But this must be your mind. Not, I'm not talking to elders or talking to pastors or whatever. I'm talking to all of us. The mindset of the people, the attitude, in, is this need of loving one another and serving. He loved us way before He died for us. He didn't come and die so He could love us. He came and died because He already loved us. Think about that. Have this attitude that are in God's people. Some actually may reject your love. And they may not look at it as your love. Jesus was very harsh to Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. But he was trying to get them to wake up. And some of them did. But basically, people reject his love. And if you're loving the people of God the way God tells you to do it in his word, it may be misunderstood or it may be understood, but it still could be rejected. What are you supposed to do when that happens? Keep loving them. Keep loving them. Now, there are some people, we're told in Scripture, when their lifestyle becomes such as looking like a heathen, we are not even to eat with that person. But it's not because we don't love them. It's because we're trying to get them to realize that they have separated themselves from vital dynamic fellowship. And we're not going to fellowship with them. I mean, this is, uh, unfortunately, I, or fortunately for me, I didn't write those scriptures. They are there to make people in the church understand what real love is. It is not just, oh, tolerate anything they do. On the other hand, we don't have to go around rebuking each other all the time for the smallest, simplest little things that go on. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It has to be some pretty blatant, open, you know, sin before we start getting into some kind of rejection. But I thought to myself, as I was looking at this, he says, have this mind. Well, what else was in the mind of Christ? He existed in the form of God. (laughs) Think about that. He was God. And he didn't hold on or regard that equality with God in the Trinity as something to grasp or hold on to or say or lord over us. And I thought about that and I was meditating on this and I thought to myself, well how could I have that mind? I'm not in that kind of a high position. And right there the Lord corrected me. Listen. Ephesians 4, 2, 4 through 6. But God being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. That's great. But listen to this. And raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
The completeness of the cross of Christ made me complete in Him. Do you get that? The completeness, the complete satisfaction of God, of the cross of Christ, makes you and me who are believers complete in Him. And not only that, seated with Him. We have the same God. We have, we're joint heirs with Christ. Think about it. Joint heirs. We can call God Abba Father, which means Daddy. We enjoy daily fellowship with Him. We get to hear His Word spoken as we open our Bibles. And we have confidence, both in life and in death. Right? Okay. In fact, did you know that God refers to us... We'll just wait a second. He refers to us as being just like Christ right now. (laughs) Now, most of us, when we get up in the morning and look at the sorry face we're looking at in the mirror, and we haven't put our makeup on yet, I don't wear makeup, and, and I'm talking about you ladies. But listen to what John says in 1 John 4, 16 and 17. And I'd really like you to write that scripture down and look it up. You don't have to turn there now. But this is such a fantastic part of Scripture, a fantastic idea, that we need to grasp it before we ever begin to serve. Listen, 1 John 4.16, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this... His love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because, and here's the fantastic statement, as He is, so are we in this world. Did you hear that? As He is right now. What is He right now? Exalted Lord of lords, King of kings, sitting at the right hand of God, Perfectly righteous, holy, unreproachable, and so are we. Oh, John, you can't seriously. I'm, I'm serious about the Word of God. The Word of God says that I'm not to worry about the day of judgment or my day of death or even how bad life is sometimes because In God's mind, in God's view, in God's proclamation in His Word, as He is right now, so am I. Does does that astound you? Are you out there? You get up in the morning and say, I'm Jesus on earth? You're not Jesus. (laughs) You're as He is. Completely accounted, righteous, Before God and unapproachable, unreproachable, and unaccusable by God. What kind of confidence? Should we fear death? No, we should throw ourselves into it. We should throw ourselves into the fray. We should throw ourselves into any kind of service for God where we take risk. And you want to know something? The word witness in the Bible is the Greek word. Marturion, and it's where we get our word 
martyr. So every time you go out to witness, you're becoming a potential martyr. Ha! Well, I'm not sure I want to be a martyr for God. Listen, you have nothing to fear in death. If, if you don't fear death, what else is there to fear? Throw yourself at the Lord. Throw yourself into His service. Now, there's, there's a balance to this, obviously, but to think about that thought right there, I had to stop when I was studying and just get on my knees in my bedroom and thank God for that verse. Why? Because I know where I came from. <laughs> I know what I am. But I have to stand up and say what God says I am in Christ. I'm not this without Christ. In fact, it's not even me. It's Him. But the same with you. We are such lights. We are such powerful people on this earth. And it seems like the weaker we get, the more powerful we get, which is God's way. But think about it. We who were rebels and enemies of God by evil deeds and thoughts were brought into this relationship with Christ completely beyond reproach. Wow. What a great salvation. What a great salvation. The worst of our sins in the history of our whole lives cannot be counted against us. God is so satisfied with the blood of Jesus as a complete payment that those who have, of us who accept God's full testimony of His Son are complete in Him. And we've come into a relationship that cannot be severed, even by us. Boy, I take great comfort in that because I'm pretty much amazed at how much of a scoundrel I still am on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know why I think Christians don't serve the Lord anymore? We put out a call. We need help at Awana. We need help at Vacation Bible School. We need teachers. We need. The, you know why Christians don't do it? It's not because they're too busy. It's not because they feel inadequate. It's because they don't know what they've got. You don't know what you've got. You have no idea the power that you, as a simple little pile of dust filled with God's Spirit, can perform. Jesus said, think about this, you will do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father. Greater works. That just meant that the power of the Holy Spirit was in us. Nobody had the Holy Spirit indwelling them but Jesus. But when He gave us the Holy Spirit, He gave us Himself to be used as a completeness in this world, we waste so much time in this world on things that don't mean anything. So, the problem is, he says, his power is directed toward us if we're seeking his will. Imagine, <clears throat> she's not here to defend herself right now, but imagine if Becky came into my office one day, or our office downstairs, she went down and got the vacuum cleaner and started vacuuming the hallway. And I said, Becky, what are you doing? Well, I, I thought this would be the best way to serve you today. I said, well, that's, I'd call her my office and say, that's not what I ask you to do. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to come in here and help me work on the bulletin or, or something else. And she begins to argue and says, no, I feel led to do this. Boy, I, when I hear somebody say that, I back up. 
What do you mean you feel led to do this? Mostly, your feelings have nothing to do with God leading you. In fact, your feelings will usually go in contradiction to what God is leading you to do. Did you know that? Because when you find out what His will is, you want to know what His other will is. You're not interested in doing that will. And your emotions go, no, this can't be God. Listen to the disciples as they see Jesus telling them that He's going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be delivered up on a cross and die and rise again the third day. And they go, no, 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 no! <laughs> and what does He say to Peter? Five minutes after he said, Peter, you are the rock. Upon this rock I build my church. He says, get behind me, Satan. When we act on our emotions only, we are not in the will of God. If Becky did that, if she came in and did that, I'd have to take the vacuum cleaner away from her and say, that's not my will. Now, here's the thing. You may think this is a ridiculous example, but it is exactly what God wants you to do. Think about, we think we should do good works, and we should, but then we get led to do something because it touches our emotions. God doesn't work that way. What if He waited till He felt like dying before He came to this earth? He would never feel it. He came and did it out of deliberate, determined love, out of His will. And He asks us to walk the same way. He works through the authority that He's placed over us, even as far as the, all the way up to the government. But He reveals His will to the authority with it. Now, that doesn't mean if you come and say, I really think the Lord is leading me to do this, that that doesn't mean you can't do it. But sometimes I've had feelings, and, and when I wasn't a pastor, that the Lord leading me this or that way. And I went to my elders, and I said, I think the Lord is leading this. They said, let's pray about it together, because we want the whole church behind you. We're not lone rangers. We're supposed to work as a body. The Lord Jesus even didn't operate that way. He always did what the Father pleased. What, the, what pleased the Father. Even when the disciples argued with him about feeding the poor, when he was being anointed with a very costly anointment, uh, ointment or, or perfume, they're all going, oh, this could have been sold and given to the... Sound like a Baptist business meeting. This could have been sold and given to the poor. That's what we need to do. And here's Mary pouring out the most expensive thing she's got on his feet. To the average Christian, that looks like a waste. What did Jesus say? You've always got the poor. You'll always be able to minister to the poor. The poor are always going to be there. But I'm not. And this isn't about the poor. It's about me. He says, you can go feed the poor if you don't lead them to Christ. All you did is postpone the inevitable hell. That's all. Sure, we should think kindly of the poor and feed them. We should feed everybody if we could afford it. But unless we give them the true bread from heaven, we've given them nothing but another day. We can give them eternity. Amen? 
We have the ability, the power, the, the, the dynamic inside of us to give them eternity, and all we're worried about is giving them food. Listen, when, when you walk up to the pond of God's evangelism, there is no sign there that says, clean up the pond. The only sign says, go fishing. Jesus didn't say, I will make you pond cleaners if you follow me. This world's always going to be dirty. We can't change it by politics. We can't change it any other way but by prayer and evangelism and discipleship. That's what we're, we're in. You know, this little church sitting out here in the middle of nowhere, which is what, the way Dean Wallace describes us, <laughs> is an outpost for the gospel. That's what we are. If we try to become anything else, we might as well be a social club. We have been exalted with him according to him. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Two through four. Set your blank. Oops, there's that word again. <laughs> Set your minds on things above, then not on things of the earth, for you have already died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Wow. That's confidence in the day of judgment, isn't it? Our mindset is this. We're not to grasp at the position. We have been exalted, raised up with Christ, seated in the heavens. We're not supposed to stand around and boast about that. That should cause us to have the same mind as Christ. He could have boasted. He could have maintained that position without anybody calling him down for it. But he didn't grasp at it. He laid it aside. And he came down. In a manger, because he couldn't even get a room in a hotel. Born as poor to poor parents. Born in the likeness of men. Now, that's the most amazing thing of all right there, if you think about it. That God would take on human flesh. The divine God who needs nothing. Takes on human flesh to feel and suffer what we do. To experience the humility of helplessness. To live perfectly. To die sacrificially, to raise victoriously, and to reign sovereignly. That's who we serve. Look at him as a servant of God. He humbled himself and was obedient even to the point of death and even death on a cross. Perfect picture of servanthood right there. You want to use your spiritual gift? This is the way to do it. Because whatever your gift is, it will only be demonstrated in reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. You can't find a, a passage in the Bible that better illustrates the servant of Christ than this one. Or you can read all the Gospels and you can see him serving. But this one brings it vividly into our mind and in our eyes that this is what it means to serve in the Spirit. I'm ranting and raving here. If you reflect for a minute, this is just something we all need to stop and do. Reflect for a minute what happened on the cross when he died. Wasn't the nails that hurt so much 
or the crown of thorns that was unbearable to him. It wasn't the, this beating and the mocking of the crowd. It wasn't even hanging in nakedness for all to see. It was the moment that God pulled darkness over the earth so we could not see the agony of the cross. And being forsaken by God with all the demons dancing around him, mocking him, and no one helped him. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of darkness, he paid the full debt. Do you not see your own wretchedness when you do this? When you reflect this, do you not see your own wretchedness? Do you not see the love of God for you? Where he refused to spare his own son? Have you no conscience of his suffering? Have you no Are you hard-hearted and unwilling to fall down and cry out, Oh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about us. There's times we really need His mercy. Because Jeremiah said His mercy is new every morning, so obviously we need it every morning, right? Do not think for one minute you can trifle with God. You can't trifle with Him. He delivered him up in, for our transgression, and he alone declares that the person who trusts in his supreme sacrifice is justified before God forever. That's the only way. That's our message. It's a simple message. That's our message to the world around us. You see, it's not the effect the cross of Jesus has on you. It's not the effect the blood of Jesus has on you. Is the effect the blood of Jesus had on God. For he said during the Passover, when I see the blood, not you, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will have mercy. When I see the blood, and when you have applied that blood to yourself, when you have by faith said, this is for me, Lord, thank you, I apply that blood to myself, then God says, I see the blood. Isn't that wonderful? Do not go about looking for ways to serve him, O religious person. Sit at his feet. Join with the elders and leaders. Learn of him. You can't serve him correctly unless you know him. Otherwise, you'll think he wants you to do something that just your idea. And it won't last. It won't last. Some things are obvious in His Word that we should all do, but if you want to be in the center of His will, have the mind of Christ. Use the mind. You've already got it, actually. Use it. Don't tell Him what you're going to do and expect Him to bless it. Jesus didn't take on position of a servant to go about doing as he willed. He said in John 5:19, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. He's just mimicking the God and the Father. Okay. Now, <clears throat> after this, you know, if we operate the same way and we seek the Father to tell us what his will is and do the same, then we're just like Jesus here. We're acting like him. And I don't want you for a moment to go out of here and say, Brother John said, I'm just like Jesus. No, you're not. You have all the power that he wants to give you that you need to serve him, but you're not him. You'll never be him. 
You may be exalted with Him. You may be reflecting Him. You may be actually in glory with Him. You're not Him. And you never will be. But what a great privilege it is to reflect Jesus Christ. And then on that, look forward to that day when we're going to actually reflect Him so much that we will look like Him even though we will not be Him. Rusty and I were sharing the other day, and I said, did you ever look at the moon when it's bright and in fullness? He goes, yeah. I said, where is the moon getting that light? Sometimes it's so bright you could go out and walk in a forest and not stumble. Where does the moon get that light? He said, from the sun. I said, that's the only place you get your light. As you reflect Him, you shine on a dark world. Amen? Okay. Now, After this explanation of the supreme servant, God has highly favored him and exalted him and given him a name at every name, and every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess. Then Paul tells us to do some things. He says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Hmm. Oh, boy. This hits home. Be blameless and innocent children of God. Without blemish. Hmm. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Boy, we know this is a twisted generation, don't we? All you got to do is turn on the TV and see that. But it says, you shine as lights. But he says it's God working in you to will and to do his will. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And by the way, those words mean exactly what they say in the Greek. Fear is the Greek word phobia or phobia. Trembling is the Greek word for shaking. Caution as you serve. But the authority to do this, with the authority from God to do this, comes responsibility. And with responsibility comes accountability. So I believe the most sought-after word all of us look forward to when we stand before the Lord is to hear him say, well done. Right? But I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Everybody, please turn there. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 16. According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds. He's talking to us here. For no one can lay a foundation other than what is already laid, that is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, Hay and straw. Each one work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Now, by the way, he's talking here to Christians. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work we have each done. If the work that anyone has done, built on this foundation, survives, he will receive a reward. But... If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will still be saved, like through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? The foundation's laid, folks. It's Jesus Christ. You can't go anywhere else 
and build on anything else. But we're supposed to take heed how we build our lives in our service to the Lord. If anyone builds with gold and silver and precious stones and fire touches it, if your works were done in love, submission, humility, purity, and done to the glory of God, gold, silver, and precious stones, even though they might melt, still are gold, silver, and precious stones on the other side of the fire. But what happens to wood, hay, and stubble? It's gone. Second Peter 3, 10 and 11 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works will be exposed. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people should we be living in all godliness and holiness? The earth and its works will be burned up. If anyone's work is burned up, he suffers loss. What does he suffer? Probably doesn't hear, well done, he's just there. And thankful to be there. <laughs> right. Chuck Swindoll one time said, the amazing thing about heaven, as he was describing, is that I'm there. That's the most amazing thing. But if your work survives the fire, you get a reward. I don't know what that's going to be. God's, I'm not the judge. But even if your works are burned up, you're still saved. Isn't that nice? Isn't that wonderful? I love, as a pastor, sharing that verse with people so they understand how faithful God is, even when we're worthless. But it's not what God wants. He wants you to have a great reward. He wants to bring you into heaven with fanfare. He wants you to come in so that He can sing over you. Wow, what an amazing God. Now, you may think, well, gee, this is kind of making me doubt whether I should serve at all. <laughs> By the way, this fire here is not the fire of hell. It's the fire of test. Serve anyway, and don't try to judge yourself, because listen. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5, through 5, listen. This is how a person should regard all of us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. It's required of servants and stewards they be found trustworthy. To me, it is a very small thing that I would be but judged by you. Boy, every pastor ought to grab a hold of that verse. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Really? He's not talking about judging himself for sin and correcting his life. He's talking about this. I am not aware of anything, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not continue to pronounce judgment before the time when the Lord will come and bring to light all the things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of our hearts, and then each one will receive his commendation from God. What is that saying? We don't have to judge each other's service. God will judge it. And he does it right. We, we were really not able to. Look, Paul didn't judge anyone. He didn't even judge himself here. He knew that the quality of his work would be accurately judged by God. Because he's perfect in his judgment. Your pastor and your elders and your leaders and everybody in a position of leadership are called to be stewards. Stewards. Of God. 
primarily stewards of the mysteries of God. Don't criticize and judge constantly. You're not the judge. You're servants. They are servants, just as you are, of Christ, and should be treated with the same respect you want to be treated. Think about that. That's where unity really comes in. This is the way you maintain unity. Let God be the judge of another person's work. We're not talking about sin here. If you follow the example of Jesus that we've looked at today, and you can't do it perfectly, rejoice when anyone offers to work for him. Man, somebody comes to me and says, I'd like to help with this or that, or I'd like to be in charge of this or that. Yay! I get excited. Stay in the middle of his will with his church. What will you hear him say that day? You have confidence because of his blood to move right into heaven just like that. Nothing's going to prevent you from doing that if you're a believer in Christ. Nothing. But what do you want to hear him say? I want to hear him say, well done. And I sincerely hope that's what he says to you. In fact, my job is to try to lead you to the place where not that I say well done or that I'm happy with you, but I see you obeying this right here. And if you do, you're going to hear Jesus say, well done. Enter into the joy of your kingdom, my kingdom. Let's pray. Father, it's tough to preach a sermon like this because I myself fall so far short in serving you daily as I should, in adoring you, worshiping you daily as I should. And Lord, I can only ask, I'm not going to judge myself. I don't know how to figure out. I can't sit and look at my motives and say, should I have done that? If you're drawing me into service for you with your church, If you're drawing anybody in, just help us, Lord, to abandon ourselves. Not worry about the consequences. That's your problem. Just do what you tell us to do. Use our spiritual gifts where they are needed the most. Help us to not be prejudged where that might be. Just follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.